You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you that you have visited us once in the person of Jesus and that you will visit us again to bring shalom to bring justice, to bring healing for all creation. We pray now that you would come to us in the reading and preaching of your word, that you would illumine it, that we might not just walk away unchanged, but that we might respond to your word of grace with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, church. Good morning. Good to see you, my dear brothers and sisters. Grateful to be with you on the second Sunday of Advent in this month of December. Uh, We're doing this Advent and Christmas sermon series we're calling The Mothers of Jesus. We're looking at the five women who are named in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And we're looking at how surprising it is that these women are here. First of all, that they're women at all. Women weren't listed in genealogies back then. But not only that, four of the five of these women are foreigners, non-Israelites, And on top of that, all of the women in some way or another were women of disgrace, Uh, were women who in some ways were forgotten or marginalized or shut out in the societies that they lived in. And so this is actually really good news. It's good news for us. It's good news for our world. Uh, It's good news that whoever you are and wherever you find yourself, the welcome is wide open into the family of Jesus through his grace. So we're looking today at the second woman that is named, and that is... uh, the person of Rahab. So um, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to Joshua 2. Um, We're only going to read a little section of Joshua 2 today, but I am going to be referring to the whole chapter. So let's hear God's word um, this morning from Joshua 2 and Matthew 1, read by Timothy Wynn. This is a scripture reading of Joshua 2, 8 through 13, and Matthew 1, 1 through 5. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that I think about when I think about the holiday season that we're in right now is a crowded house. 
a house full of noise and full of people. Uh, When we were at Thanksgiving at my parents' house, we had 12 of us crammed into their little 1,400-square-foot house. Um, At Christmas time, when we're at Sarah's family house, I think there will be 17 of us there. Um, anybody, anybody over 20 in your house this, this holiday season? Anybody over 20? What about 25? 25. Got 25. Anybody over 30? Anybody over 30? We, 30 right there. Sold. That's amazing. Or maybe that was a kid. Um, <laughs> this is a delightful thing. It's also a challenging thing. I mean, you never really know who's going to be sleeping on your floor or sharing your bathroom or eating your food. Uh, we all, I think, know and feel deep down um, how grateful and relieved we are when, you know, Uncle Freddie finally leaves and you can wave goodbye. And yet there is also something delightful and beautiful about the fact that hospitality is at the heart of this season, because in many ways, hospitality is at the heart of the message of Christmas. It's at the heart of the message of the gospel, and it's certainly at the heart of the story of Rahab. So let's look at the, the, the story of this amazing woman through the lens of hospitality. Just two simple things today. We're going to look at first the hospitality of Rahab and then the hospitality of God. So first, let's look at the hospitality of Rahab. We first meet Rahab in Joshua 2. And to give you a little bit of the context, God's people have finally come through the wilderness, and they are being prepared by Joshua to conquer the promised land and come into Canaan that God has promised to them. And the the only thing that is really preventing them from entering into the promised land at this point is this great city of Jericho. Now, in the city of Jericho, there was a woman who was named Rahab, and Rahab was a prostitute. And it says in Joshua 2 that Rahab lived in the wall of Jericho. She actually had her apartment built into the wall. Now, this was actually really common back then, and it was common for the red light districts of cities to be in the outskirts of the city, probably because, you know, clients who visited them wanted to remain mostly unnoticed. But what I think is so interesting about this is that I think the the geography of Rahab's home also in some ways represents her own social location. Uh, prostitutes back then, as they often are today, were really at the bottom of the social ladder. And especially in the patriarchal society that Rahab lived in, options were very few for women who did not have a, a powerful male as their patron. And so she was likely forced to create a living by selling her body. And it was likely that she was even forced to do that by her own family, her own father. And so even in today's world, I hope you all know this, that even in the today's world, many, many women all over the world are forced into this choice and must choose survival over safety and, and every day have to live with the trauma and the desperation of that horrible choice. And so this is Rahab. She is on the outskirts of the city and she is an outsider to the centers of power itself. And so Joshua 2 says that the two spies were sent by Joshua to scope out the city. And it says in verse 1, they entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. They were likely thinking that if they, if they housed themselves in the red light district of a city, they would, they would go unnoticed. Unfortunately, they did get noticed, and the king gets tipped off. And so he sends messengers to Rahab's house. It says, verse 3, bring out the men who came to your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. 
Now, I, think about Rahab's situation for a moment, friends. Think about this situation. Here is this woman, desperate to get out of her situation, desperate to get out of her place in life. And she has a tremendous opportunity on her hands, right? She's got two of the king's enemies in her living room. She has to, all she has to do is just turn them over. She would likely get a reward. She would likely get commended. She would probably get money and access to the kind of power that she needs to raise herself up out of her state. This is probably the most power and the most opportunity that Rahab has ever had. It's a no-brainer for her to turn these two spies over to the king. But instead, in a shocking twist in the story, she doesn't. And instead, it says in verse four, that she hides the men on the roof. She misdirects the king's messenger. She says, oh yeah, you know, they were here, but not sure where they went now. Maybe they went that way. You should go after them and hurry real fast. She, she doesn't turn them over and she hides them instead. Now we've heard this story so many times that I don't think we just realize how shocking of a decision this was that Rahab did. Have any of you seen this very fascinating Netflix show called Unorthodox? Um, any of you seen that? A few of you have. Um, it's, a, it's a show, it's actually based on a true story on Deborah Feldman's book, The Scandalous Rejection of My Hasidic Roots. It's a true story about a modern day Hasidic Jewish woman in New York who decides to break with her tradition, her clan, her tribe, and her religion. And the incredible trauma and vulnerability that this creates for a woman in her early 20s. And so for modern cultures like ours, like Western cultures like ours that really value the autonomy of the individual choice, it's not a big deal to us to, for someone just to kind of like reject their tradition and culture and religion. But in non-Western cultures, in traditional cultures, in collectivist cultures, it is it is shocking. It is unheard of. It is, it is scandalous for any person, let alone a young, vulnerable woman, to cut herself off from her tribe, her religion, and her clan. And so why does she do this? Why does she do the unthinkable? Why does she lie to her king and betray her people and depart from her own religion and go against her culture and put herself in serious, grave danger? Why does she do this? says it right here in verse 9 through 13. She believes in the God of Israel. After the king's men leave, she says to the spies, get to speak. This, this is one of the most, some scholars say this is one of the most, I really like getting close to y'all with this little ramp here. Um, some, some of the Old Testament scholars say this is one of the most beautiful confessions of faith in the Old Testament. She basically says, oh, we heard about y'all. We heard about your God. We heard about what he did. We heard about how you were slaves in Egypt. You were beat down by those masters. And we heard about how this God rescued you out of slavery and brought you through the Red Sea. We heard about how this God destroyed the army of Egypt. We heard about he brought you through the Red Sea and he brought you through the wilderness and he fed you in the desert with manna. We heard about how as you came into the promised land, you took down armies 10 times your size. We heard about how this God of Israel rescued you, and then she says this, and I want to be rescued by this God too. I want in. I want to be rescued. She forgoes the strategic moment to rescue herself and puts her life 
in the hands of an unknown God because she believes that he will rescue her. Now, this is such a powerful lesson on faith for us. First of all, it just shows us what faith is. What do you think of when you hear that phrase, a person of faith? Most likely you think of a, you know, a, a good, moral, religious person with a squeaky clean, clean record. That's a person of faith. But look at Rahab. Does she believe all the right things? Probably not. She barely knew anything about this God. <laughs> she didn't even know the Ten Commandments. She didn't know the law. She knew nothing about him. Does she have a good squeaky clean record? She's been selling her body for sex the last few years. So what does it mean to be a person of faith? Not to believe all the right stuff. You can have lots of questions. Not to have a squeaky cream record. I hope you know none of us does. To be a person of faith means to be a person who is desperate enough to believe that God and God alone is your only rescue. Do you believe that? That's what it means to be a person of faith. But there's something else we learn about faith from Rahab. You know, um, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, have you ever read it? It's called the, sometimes it's called the hall of fame of faith. The hall of fame of faith. And who do we find there in the hall of fame of faith? Our sister Rahab. And it says this of her in verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I love that the writer of Hebrews says that Rahab's faith was expressed in her hospitality that she welcomed the spy, welcomed her enemy, welcomed the stranger, because by doing so, she knew that she was welcoming the God of Israel into her life. She says, the God who was invading my city, I welcome him to invade my life. And, 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 and I welcome him as my king, even if it means, as it will for her, walking away from everything and anything she has ever known. That is radical faith. You know, we're celebrating Christmas time, and you know, at this point, the Christmas story—we've heard it so many times—it doesn't even raise our pulse anymore. It's just sweet for us, you know, sweet little baby Jesus in the cradle. He—he—he's no crying. He makes, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you got the sheep and the cute cows mooing, you know. It doesn't even smell bad in there. It's just, so, it's just so sweet. And that's kind of what Christmas is now, the Christmas story. It's just sort of a sweet story. So why don't you just be a little kinder? Is that what Christmas is? Because the Christmas story is much more like Rahab's story. Newsflash, God's coming. God's coming to invade your city, to invade your space, to invade your world. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Like Rahab, are you going to believe in this God as the only true God worthy of your worship and trust in this God as your only rescuer and reorient your entire life around this God, even being willing to walk away from your former allegiances? That's what Rahab does. That's what Mary does. That's what everybody does when they encounter this God. Do you remember the story um, I told you a couple years ago? Sorry that I told it recently, but I just love this story so much. It's a story about the pub owner who lived in the outskirts of London in the early 1980s. And a big snowstorm hit in the December of 1981. And he's inside his, his little pub, and there's a knock on the door. It's a knock on the door that's 
blizzard outside. There's, there's a car stranded right outside the pub. And the driver's standing there at the door and says, sir, can you rent us a room? The pub owner says, sorry, sir, we have not rented rooms in this pub for years. The driver says, I really, really think you should reconsider. The pub owner says, I really didn't, don't think you heard what I said. And at that moment, the back door of the car opens and out steps Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> True story. And the pub owner says, I think we have room. <laughs> and, and as she walks in, his wife says in the background, we should have cleaned the carpets. <laughs> See, this, this, this is what Advent is saying. This is how Advent is the good and yet disturbing news that God has come and God is coming. What are you going to do? What response are you going to make? Are you going to let your life be challenged and turn upside down? Are you going to be willing to walk away from all your former allegiances to welcome the invasion of this new king into your space? Or are you just a little religious on Sundays? Because what it means to truly encounter the king who comes is to be like Rahab. To say, there's no turning back. I welcome him in. And I'm willing to walk away from anything and everything that I've ever known. Because it's worth it to be rescued by and to follow this new king. That is the radical hospitality of Rahab. But let's look at the flip side real quick and look at the hospitality of God. Let's continue with the story. So Rahab decides she's going to cut a deal with the spies. This is a, this is a smart woman. She decides she's going to cut a deal. And so in verse 12, she says this, she says, when this city comes down, when God comes in and brings this whole thing down, would you commit to me that I will be shown kindness? And I love this because the word that she uses for kindness is that great Hebrew word that we love, hesed. Isn't that amazing? She knows and uses that word. She says, will you give me, will I be covered by the hesed, the covenantal love of God for his people? Would you cover me with the covenantal kindness and covering of God? Spies say, sounds good. Our life for yours. So they go on back to Joshua. They give a good report. And pretty soon, sure enough, Israelites come on in. They cross the Jordan. They come to Jericho. Kids, I need your help for this. What's the next thing that happens? They march. They start to march around that city. How many times do they march around that city? Seven, Seven times. That's right, Mr. Luke. What do they do after that seventh time that they march around the city? What do they do? Yes, sir. They blow the trumpets. And then what happens after that? What happens after they blow the trumpets? Walls come tumbling down, except one little piece. Where our sister Rahab lives. Right there, that one piece, that one piece of the wall. Where her apartment is, that piece doesn't fall. She is covered covered by the kindness, the hesed love of God. And not only that, so she, she comes, she, she, they bring her and her whole family with her to Israel. And she goes and, and she, becomes, she becomes part of Israel. The prostitute becomes a proselyte. She becomes a part of the people of Israel. And she meets a good Israel man, Israelite man named Salmon. And 
she and Salmon get married and they have a son who has a son who has a son named Boaz. And Boaz meets a young woman named Ruth who will meet next week. And they have a son named Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And David is the forebearer of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So get this, this prostitute, the harlot, the woman of the night, this person, the bottom rung of society, this great moral and religious and racial outsider, she becomes the great, great, great grandmother of the Messiah. She becomes a high class lady in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. And this is God's hospitality. Whoa. Y'all are... <laughs> you know, that, that's the kind of thing when I die and I'm at my funeral, one of y'all is going to stand up and tell that story. I broke the pulpit. That's how much I believe in this stuff, friends. I broke the pulpit. Now, where was I? I don't know. I don't even know where I was. Thanks. Can't make this stuff up. Can't make this stuff up. So here, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to Everybody calm down. Okay. <laughs> Ed, we need a new uh, lectern next week. Um, this is the nature of God's hospitality. Not only does he pull a prostitute right under the kindness of his hesed love, but he actually then goes so far as to welcome her into his own line so that, listen, Rahab herself contributes a genealogical seed to the incarnated life of the Messiah. Jesus Christ has the DNA of Rahab the prostitute. God welcomes her into his own family line. Did you ever notice that every time Rahab is named in the scripture, it always includes her profession? Every time. Rahab the prostitute, Joshua 2, Joshua 6, Hebrews 11, James 2, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. You're like, come on, man. You got to keep saying that. Why does God do that? Here's why. Because God is showing us the example of Rahab. Look, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care if you've been living in the gutter. I don't care if you've been living for the last 50 years inside the gates of hell. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. You are welcome into the hesed love of God. Not only are you welcomed, you are given something to contribute. You are given a way to participate. You are made a part of the story of the hesed love of God. And y'all, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. The poor nobody teenager becomes the mother of God. A grubby little band of shepherds becomes the first Christian congregation. A group of tax collectors and, and fishermen and the, and the lost and the least and the pimps and the prostitutes become the disciples and the evangelists and the prophets. See, in the house of the Hesed God, your yesterdays never determine your tomorrows. Your past never determines your future. You have value. You have worth. You have a place at the table. You are loved. As Augustine said, there is no saint in this house without a past. And there is no sinner without a future. Do you understand what this means? Do you understand what this means? It means a lot for you personally. I know that there are some of you who are racked with guilt and shame over something that you have done or something that has been done to you. And you just can't leave it behind. 
There's those of you who are so weighed down by a sense of worthlessness and an inferiority that you can't really hear any other voice. There's others of you who's just voices from your past, a parent or a boss, a teacher, that looms so large in your life that it shapes your sense of self. What would happen if God's voice became the louder voice? If God's presence became the stronger presence? What would happen if you saw him every day standing up with his eyes bright with love and his arms wide open welcoming you to his table saying, you have a place here, you are loved? It would change the way you think about yourself. Or do you see how this could change the way we think about each other? Friends, in this family, this is Rahab's family, status or race or pedigree or position mean nothing here. We are all here by the scandalous grace of God. And so if you really get this, it means your whole perspective on other people changes. You can't look down on anyone anymore. You can't snub anyone anymore. You can't feel superior to anybody anymore. And in fact, I'll even go so this far, is that if you really begin to grasp this story, this story of Rahab, the scandalous hospitality of God, then you will start doing some questionable things yourself. You will start to have eyes for those that the world despises. You will start to have a heart that loves those that God loves. You will start to invite people into your home and your space and your church that might raise eyebrows. What if their church became a place that raised some eyebrows? That's what the scandalous, hospitable grace of God does when it really starts to get deep inside of you. So here's Rahab's story. It's a story of scandalous, subversive hospitality. She welcomed the God of Israel, believing that his hesed love would rescue and welcome her. And God did, boy, he did, not only welcoming her, but welcoming her right into his own family tree so that the most unlikely of person brings forth the Messiah of the world. So we're coming to this table, and I just want to invite you, as you come, that you would see the hospitality of God for you right here. What we see right here with the broken bread and the poured out blood is the costly hospitality of God for you. Not only did God come to be with us, not only uh, he also, he took on a sense of a, a, a cosmic homelessness. He, he bore our exile. Hebrews says he was put outside the city gates with the outcasts, with the excluded, to be crucified on Golgotha, that all, all, might be welcomed in. Now he's your host here. And he says, come. Stand at the door and knock. Will you come? Will you feast? Will you see that this is your true home? This is the only place of rescue. It's the only place of forgiveness. It's the only place of hope. Will you welcome the one who has welcomed you? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you and praise you for your mercy, your kindness, your hospitality, and your love for us. As we come to this table, would your Holy Spirit be present here? May we all be stirred in our hearts, moved deeply by the love of God that wants his grace to be so clear that he makes Rahab a part of his family tree. Make us part of your family today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.